This is an irreverent podcast. Check out irreverent.fm for shows from all our friends. Hello and welcome to Exvangelical. I'm your host, Blake Chastain. This episode is another episode, just like the last one, that was initially published in the new XV Extras feed, which is a new project that I've started that will allow me to respond to more current events than some of my longer form interviews. What this episode is, is a collection of a couple of interviews, one with Laura Hagen and another with Chris Stroop, about the hashtag Expose Christian Schools. This hashtag has received a lot of attention over the last week, and that's why I am publishing it here in the more established feed with a larger audience. The intent really here is to get some information out in regards to what this hashtag is about. There is a lot of information and reaction happening from the right across a lot of different uh, conservative outlets, including Fox News and conservative folks on Twitter, sort of lambasting the hashtag and misrepresenting it as far as what its intent is. I talk with Chris Stroop about what his desire was when he began the hashtag, which was in response to uh, Karen Pence and Mike Pence's reaction to the news and re- reporting by Rebecca Klein at the Huffington Post about Karen Pence, the second lady, taking a job at a Christian school that discriminates against LGBTQ people. That was the original impetus, and also the desire was to sort of show what is happening and what is being taught at Christian schools. And that has also since been broadened into what happens at homeschools through homeschooling curriculum. Um, that's what these two interviews are about. I also include a call call in that was done through Anchor. Um, this podcast that I produce over on the other feed is done through an app called Anchor. You can download it on your iPhone or Android phone. The app, again, is spelled A-N-C-H-O-R. It allows you to call in and leave messages to me or to other podcasters who use the app. You can find that feed anywhere you find this show. You can also look for it directly on Anchor at anchor.fm slash exvangelicalpod. That is where you can where you can find links to whatever your preferred podcast app is. They've got at least 10 links as well as the RSS feed, which I'll post in the show notes as well. You can always support this show by telling other people about it. That's especially true in the case of this episode, because this hashtag has really riled people up. It's really gotten people to think. It's also gotten people to react and say that the folks that are speaking out are doing so just to critique Christians as if there was no need to, or as if Christians are somehow perfect or their institutions are perfect. No, that's not the case. And I really want to emphasize in this preface that the people that are speaking out do so at great personal cost. Some people are doing it with the knowledge that they that this may upset family members or friends, but that they speak out because that is what is needed at this time. So please bear that in mind. When you when you hear these stories, when you understand that, that 
these are the stakes that that people are being vulnerable and sharing the sorts of abuse um, or miseducation that they received, that this is a, a very vulnerable thing to do. Evangelicalism, which a lot of people don't know, has a, a pretty strong sort of code of silence. You just don't cr criticize things in public. And you're seeing the consequences of that now. You're seeing people respond so vir very violently or virulently, excuse me, um, to this because it's not what's expected. It's not what's accepted in those circles. So please listen to these stories. Uh, listen to Laura Hagan talk about her tweet that went viral last week. Listen to Chris talk about the intent of why he started this hashtag. And please share it with others so that they can hear this side of the story, especially if all they've heard are the things that are being quoted or misrepresented in the conservative media. You can find me on Twitter at BR Chastain. You can contact me at contact at evangelicalpodcast.com. You can leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, and you can subscribe to the show wherever you find it. Finally, if you want to support the show, you can do so by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or by supporting me via Patreon at patreon.com slash exvangelicalpod. This show and this intro, as well as what you'll hear, is done directly from my phone, so the quality is going to be a little different than usual. Keep that in mind. Um, this this is the equipment that I'm using for this particular type of show. It does have a different type of sound, which means uh, it might be euphemistic for saying it's a little lower quality. But these are important stories, and I'm going to continue to share them. Um, and I I hope you listen to this and uh, our benefit from hearing these stories. All right, let's get into it. I have with me on the phone, Laura Hagen. She is someone who responded recently to the Twitter hashtag that was started by Chris Stroop called Expose Christian Schools. And Laura tagged uh, both Chris and I into a tweet that went viral. And I wanted to talk to her a little bit more about her experience at a Christian school. Welcome to the show, Laura. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for agreeing to speak. Um, so there was a hashtag that went viral over the weekend um, called Exposed Christian Schools, and you posted something that caught a lot of people about this um, this practice that was done at your school called Slave Day. Can you describe what that is and and what your what your tweet was alluding to? Yeah, so I, it's kind of crazy how it took off. <laughs> I was not, yeah, was not anticipating that. Um, so I went to a, a private Christian non-denominational school. I started there in first grade and then graduated from there in 2006. And every year that I can remember, there was an event called Slave Day, and it was a fundraiser strictly a fundraiser uh, for the junior class because the junior class each year planned um, our, our version of a prom, which was just a dinner that you dressed up for. Um, mm -hmm. And what would happen was 
each member of the junior class was auctioned off and paid for with real money. Um, and whoever had the highest bid owned that person for a day. It was a designated day that we, we would all participate in. Um, and it happened in the chapel. And then I think eventually once we got our own building, it moved to the gymnasium. Um, but students would stand on like a box and a teacher would be the auctioneer. And I did find pictures of, of the whip that people were pretty hung up on in the tweet. Um, but yeah, it was, it was bizarre looking back on it, just kind of like how in the world was that allowed? Um, it did in, I think around 2001 or 2002, it was changed to servant day. Uh, but it was only a change in, in name, everything else stayed the same. And we kept calling it slave day as students. And just to understand sort of the makeup of your school, what was the predominantly, was it a predominantly white school and where was this located? Yeah, so it's Bethany, Bethany Academy. It's in Bloomington, Minnesota, which is a suburb of Minneapolis. Um, it, it, it was a very small school. I think I graduated with, I think there was 23 of us in my graduating class and it was mostly white almost exclusively. I remember one black student from my time in high school and then the other people of students of color, I remember being Asian, but there was maybe a handful. So. And was this, this sort of event, I mean, was it sort of, how I mean, I, I understand the perils of uh, two white people talking about <laughs> race um, um, and how, but one of the things that people coming out of white evangelicalism sort of have to uh, understand and come to terms with as white, white people themselves is their, what they were taught and not taught about race and racism. Um, so within that context, what sort of teachings were there around race and racism? Was this, was this symptomatic of sort of the teachings about race at your school? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really important question because as far as like individual acts of racism or discrimination, like I don't recall any towards people of color aside outside of slave day <laughs> um which is pretty egregious right. but and very explicit um i don't remember any individual acts that said we didn't really have students of color so there wasn't opportunity either um i when looking through yearbooks as i was trying to find pictures of slave day i noticed that we did have we had spirit week, I think twice a year, and we always had a hip hop day um, because apparently we all really enjoyed dressing up as stereotypical black people, which is weird. Um, so there was that and then slave day. Aside from those two events, I do not recall ever having conversations about race. Uh, it 
it is almost absent from my memory. Um, and I, as I've been processing the first 18 years of my life over the last decade, I've realized that like, I just didn't have to think about my whiteness. I didn't have to think about what that meant. I didn't have to think about what I was being robbed of by not having relationships with people of color. Um, like it was just absent. Uh, so I wasn't, I wasn't taught that, you know, I was taught that racism is bad and I was not taught that racism is a structure, not just individual acts. Um, and so I think white supremacy was very much prevalent and it's shown in the, in the fact that we didn't have to talk about it. We didn't have to confront our, our whiteness and how we were participating in institutional racism. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's all very, very well said and makes me think and, and sort of wonder what other sorts of things just broadening from this, this, this one really egregious uh, event that you detailed in the tweet. Um, what other sorts of things did you have to unpack or start to understand after leaving being in this this type of education system for you said k through 12 essentially uh yeah, yeah first grade through 12th grade okay yeah so were there any other parts of this christian education that you had to unlearn or relearn that um you just weren't prepared for yes <laughs> um basically everything except for like algebra <laughs> Um, mm. the past 12 years, uh, 11, 12 years have been sp like almost exclusively spent unlearning and relearning everything about the world. Um, from, and that really started with my, I went to college, I went to a public university and I got involved in Campus Crusade right away and had some not great experiences with them. And so I kind of distanced myself from that community and ended up making friends with people who were not Christians or not actively involved in any type of ministry. And that coupled with one of my older brothers came out as gay in my freshman year of college. Those two things just completely like everything started to crumble, everything I learned. Um, mm -hmm. And once I started to ask questions, it, I had to keep going, like I couldn't stop. Um, and so everything from biblical literalism to abortion, to homosexuality, to um, sex and gender, uh, race everything <laughs> and there's still things that i i don't quite understand that i'm not comfortable talking about like climate change is something that i just don't understand because for, <laughs> for the majority of my life i was told it wasn't a thing um right so yeah, yeah it's it's everything yeah yeah and uh, that's that's what i i mean that's what I, I, I find so interesting about the fact that, that this, the, 
your contribution to exposed Christian schools and the and the hashtag in general really, you know, was able to be so powerful is because it reveals the sorts of deficiencies that that this type of Christian education gives to its students. Right. Yeah, I didn't I've really started doing a lot of introspection and self-education on race and whiteness in the last like five years. And it wasn't until then that I actually remembered Slave Day. And so I I went 25 years of my life not thinking twice about that event. And it really starts to mess with your mind when you also think about the fact that there were so many adults that signed off on that who raised you and that you know that's just that could keep me busy for hours but (laughs) yeah 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 there's a lot of uh a lot of things to unpack there um is there anything else that that you that you think would would be important for people that are listening and reading and, and hearing these stories about people's experiences within christian schools whether it's this sort of institutionalized racism that um, that you just become a part of without um, without being self-aware because you're a child at the time. Um, and again, just as you said, there are adults that are that are encouraging this. Um, is there anything anything else that that you think is important for people to to know and to hear um, that haven't had this experience and that have just sort of been so, just shocked and flabbergasted um, from in their response to your to your tweet and to anything else that that you've sort of seen in this most recent discussion about Christian education. Yeah, so I would say a few a few things came to mind as you were asking that question. One is to believe people when they tell you their experiences. Um, especially those people who are from marginalized uh, groups. I've had a a lot, uh, several people in response to my tweet were just saying that it couldn't possibly be true. It didn't happen, um, which is kind of (laughs) silly. Especially when you you showed, (laughs) you showed pictures of your yearbook. Whatever, like it's hard to believe something you choose not to believe. So, um, so yeah. listen and believe people when they tell you their experience. Um, accept that you don't know everything, <laughs> and that you're probably wrong about things. And if you're going to start exploring what you were taught, and if you're going to start unlearning things make sure that you have a network of support because it is I'm not I'm hesitant to use this word and I'm but I'm not using it lightly it's it can be traumatizing (laughs) to unlearn all of this Mm -hmm. um, and it's really scary and you need to have people around you who are willing to support you in it Um, I'm a therapist so I'm biased but I would say get in therapy (laughs) yeah yeah that's very important for a lot of uh for really be becoming mm-hmm. healthier 
when when you're doing something as 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 heavy as trying to question what you're right. taught um yeah well laura thank you so much for sharing a bit about um a bit about your life and and for um for really working to expose this sort of thing because that is very much uh something that i think a, a lot of us can do after the fact and can help to sort of move these conversations forward um and that's by bringing these things to light so i commend you for doing that and i know i'm sure that it was sort of a, a, an emotional roller coaster seeing it <laughs> spread as far mm-hmm. as it did yeah. <laughs> um but but it i i i'm i'm glad that it did and that it that it's educating people even if it is bringing out some trolls <laughs> and everything as well yeah i i appreciate that can i also just recommend a few books too Um, on the topic of race and white supremacy just so that I'm not centering myself Um, sure absolutely Carol Anderson is a uh, she's a black woman she wrote White Rage which I learned a ton from she also wrote One Person No Vote which I haven't read but I'm looking forward to it Um, I know you've had Austin Channing Brown on your podcast she's great um and then mm-hmm. so you want to talk about race by ijioma Oluo. i don't think i said her last name correctly but um those are three writers black writers specifically who i've i've learned a lot from and i really recommend yes thank you very much for for mentioning those i think that's also a major part of uh, sort of the work of white evangelicals, people or people, whether they use that term or not, that come from a white background and are trying to reckon with uh, with, with racism mm-hmm. and understanding what mm-hmm. whiteness is, and that um, that it's important for us to do our own homework yes. instead of putting the onus on on people Correct. of color. Um, so thank you very much for mentioning yep. that as well, and um, and again thank you for what you what you've done and what you've written on on twitter as well yeah well thanks for taking the time to chat before we get into the interview with chris street i want to share this short voice message that was left for me on the anchor app this podcast is recorded using Anchor, which is a smartphone app that lets you record a podcast basically from your phone. One of the features allows you to receive call-ins very similar to a radio show, but those are called voice messages and they cap out at about one minute. I asked for people to call in to share some of their stories relative to exposed Christian schools or exposed Christian homeschooling on Twitter and also in the Exvangelical Facebook group. And this is a message that I received. It's just a minute long, but I also wanted to give this little blurb as well to let you know that I will be soliciting feedback and calls in regards to things that I publish on this show. And if you do want to provide a a voice message, please call in using the Anchor app, which is available for iOS and Android. Thank you. I went to my church's private school 
from preschool until third grade. I probably would have stayed all the way through 12th grade if it wasn't for the fact that my dad found out that the curriculum taught the private school did not meet the basic requirements needed for any state university. I was bullied really bad starting in second grade, partially because my teacher in second grade loved to embarrass me in front of the class and kind of egged on other students to just be very cruel to me. When I transferred to public school, it was a really hard experience. I had a lot of culture shock. I feel like I was very behind socially. Uh, I was behind in a lot of academics, especially science. And I found out very quickly that the homophobic slurs, which were perfectly acceptable at my private school, when I said them at the public school, that was not okay. And I got sent to the principal's office and had to call my parents. I have in line with me Chris Stroop. Chris and I have talked a lot and, and done a lot of things together over the last couple of years. And I have him on today to talk about what this entire episode is really about, which is about schools, which uh, was a hashtag that Chris started and really took off over the last weekend. So welcome, Chris, and glad to talk Hi, about this. Yeah, always nice to talk to you. So let's talk a, a little bit about the context of when you started this hashtag and and what what you wanted to do. Was it directly in response to Mike Pence and some of the things that he was getting into? Uh, yes, it was. And in, in particular, it was in response to um, Mike Pence and uh, David French and National Review and on MSNBC uh, pushing back and basically playing the victim, you know, doing that classic abuser shtick that authoritarians do when they reverse the role of uh, victim and perpetrator. So this was after uh, people had already criticized Karen Pence for working at a Christian school, which has explicitly anti-LGBTQ policies, does not uh, allow any of the students to be gay or queer, trans, uh, or the parents either. Um, So I think that a lot of people didn't know that schools like that necessarily exist or hadn't thought much about it. And um, it was, I believe, Rebecca Klein, the education reporter at Huffington Post, who first broke that story. Uh, who d- dug into mm-hmm. the documents right. of the uh, of the school and um, just kind of exposed what it was uh, what it was like? And obviously, you know, these kinds of schools they really uh, are exclusionary. They're usually Christian nationalists. It's a whole system based based in white supremacy. And when much of the public learned at what sort of school the second lady was working. Um, they got mad and they got critical. And then, you know, we got this predictable whining from the right. And it was the whining that inspired me to, um, to try and start a new hashtag, Expose Christian Schools. Uh, I thought it would be good if we could get people who actually graduated from those schools to share directly about our experiences. And uh, in that way, demonstrate why it's uh it's really quite offensive for the second lady to to work at a school like that where she's essentially saying you know there are whole swaths of americans that don't really belong as far as she can she's concerned you can't work a job like that and claim in any way to be representing all americans Mm -hmm. absolutely 
And this is one of uh, another one of your sort of hashtags that, that saw a lot of success and a lot of exposure. Um, what sort of what sort of things did you sort of did, did you see people begin to share? Uh, I know you shared some of your own experience and those are things that you've talked about mm. before uh, with, with me in different contexts. Um, but what were some of the patterns and sort of trends that, first of all, you, you kind of expected because you're an insider, you've, you went through this, you, you were educated in this way, but what were the sort of trends and, and uh, patterns that you saw people sharing as they continued to use the hashtag over this weekend? Uh, I saw, I saw a lot of people focusing on um, racism and misogyny, patriarchy, and um, the ways that people who um, are LGBTQ or simply were perceived as such in those schools were bullied with uh, teachers and coaches turning a blind eye. We talked a lot about the continuing use of corporal punishment in Christian schools. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, for me, these are the kinds of things that I absolutely would have expected to come up. Uh, to a lot of people who haven't lived evangelical subculture, they're they're pretty shocking. Uh, but every time the evangelical community trends a new hashtag, I get surprised by something. And uh, so, you know, I hadn't I didn't realize that there were schools that did slave auctions as fundraisers. And um, you know, this this one uh, woman tweeted about how her Christian school. They actually had someone holding a whip, and every year they would auction off the uh, junior class to the seniors. I think she said, mm-hmm. um, "Yeah, to raise right. money for a particular yeah. event." And um, I didn't know that was a thing, but it turns out that it also had was a thing in many public schools as well in the past. So, um, you know, there's just an example of how white supremacism. It's just all over American society. If you begin to scratch just below the surface, mm-hmm. yeah, that was that was one of the most shocking things to me. And I spoke with Laura Hagen, who wrote that tweet, um, and it was just absolutely uh, appalling. Um, a number of the things that that we're sort of used to is this this uh, sort of white supremacy as theology um, that that just is is present in so much mm. of of christian christian yeah education. i tweeted about the curse of ham because i tweeted that it was in seventh grade bible but then i actually began digging back through some old uh christian school documents that my mom saved and i realized i, fa- I found out it was an eighth grade bible because i explicitly well i specifically remember this teacher mr bromer was the one who gave us this worksheet and i don't remember what exact curriculum it was, but this worksheet, it had just sort of basic line drawing illustrations of the sons of Noah with arrows pointing to where they got, where, where they went geographically and, you know, kind of um, somewhat exaggerated features, particularly uh, on Ham, who I'd have to say was, you know, really a racist caricature uh, of an, uh, a person of African descent. And so we didn't get it all spelled out in his class. And as I recall, he even seemed a little bit embarrassed, embarrassed to have us go through this worksheet, but he had us go through it. Um, and no one actually said something like, you know, when Noah cursed Ham, his skin turned black. But that didn't have to be said for us to get the subtext. And um, then a lot of people came forth and said that they had learned the same thing. 
uh, even quite a few African-Americans said that they uh, themselves learned that even in church or in Christian schools. So pretty horrible stuff. Yeah. One of the other things that that did seem to be a pattern was was folks talking about the sort of educational deficiencies Mm -hmm. they had as a result of uh, being brought up in these uh, these types of schools, these Christian schools. Um, what was that part of your experience as well, going going to Heritage in Indiana? Uh, yeah, to a degree. So Heritage Christian School in Indianapolis, um, it's not a it's not a church school, and the church schools those are usually the ones where the the, the um, and also missionary schools abroad sometimes, where the teachers have no qualifications whatsoever. And uh, at Heritage, I guess, because it is a private school, the teachers don't necessarily have to have the teaching credential. As far as I'm aware, many of them do, and they do have advanced degrees. I don't know exactly what their hiring practices are um, in that regard. Um, But this is kind of middle to upper class educated white evangelicals that kind of milieu where it's a very weird mix of they want you to have they want you to get high sat scores they want you to get good grades they want you to go to college but they try to funnel you specifically into evangelical colleges um and you know it's a weird mix of being well educated in some regards and very badly educated because of ideology in others um, and mm-hmm. it is more of a nuance. There's more of a nuanced discussion to have there than I've had on Twitter so far, because also um, I, I do know that the teachers that I had there, you know, as a rule, they, they did care about me. They cared about their students. They thought they were doing the right thing, but they were still, you know, perpetuating a, a really terrible system. Uh, I'm not going to say all of them were good people. Certainly, that's definitely not not the case. I mean, one was eventually arrested one of the teachers that I had for uh, having sexual contact with a high school girl who I believe was 14. Um, But I'm not going to say all of them are inherently terrible people incapable of any empathy and compassion either. It's just that, you know, they are caught up in evangelicalism, which is a variety of Christian fundamentalism and fundamentalism is a cycle of abuse and they are not breaking the cycle. So, um, we learned a lot of bad history. We learned a lot of bad science. The freshman biology textbook, um, I don't remember what curriculum it was, but I do remember that it had that uh, picture of a decomposed whale on a Japanese vessel that I'm sure you've seen. You probably know the one I'm referring to, uh, where they said it was some kind of plesiosaur or dinosaur or something. Um, it's been debunked many times, but pictures like that still get used in um, Christian school and Christian homeschooling biology books. On the other hand, they had AP biology, and I took it, and I got a five on the exam, but I really don't credit that to that teacher. He really is a terrible teacher. Um, Mr. Terry, Stephen Terry is his name. I believe he's still there, or at least was until very recently. Uh, I haven't double-checked really recently, but I've talked to people who graduated from the school not long ago, and they tell me that he has continued to do what he did at the time, which is to waste a lot of class time on long, rambling devotionals that he would open with that he called thoughts. And he was like this goofy, um, apocalyptic, mystic, charismatic 
guy who was try always trying to listen to the Holy Spirit about things, like, you know, who would feel led to stop his car and start witnessing to someone, stuff like that. So he would start off his classes and he would just go all charismatic on us. And he'd be like, and so yesterday I had a dream and I was before the white throne of judgment and uh, Christ was separating the sheep from the goats. And I was so nervous and I was running around <laughs> looking to see if any of my students were among the goats. And then I was so relieved that they weren't. And you know, he would go on this way Sometimes for half the class time, even in AP biology, which was two periods, sometimes he would use nearly the entire period on this bullshit. And um, both <laughs> years that I had him, I had him for chemistry and AP biology. He uh, would, in the fall, talk a lot about the sin of Noah and genetically engineering red heifers and, oh, look, society is starting to tolerate gay people. So obviously sin is increasing. So it's the year of Noah. And uh, he would conclude that Christ is probably coming back this fall around Yom Kippur. So he, he kind of found nice. that loophole about, you know, where it says no one knows the, the day or the hour. Um, he didn't predict the day or the hour. He just predicted ballpark. And um, apparently <laughs> he's been predicting the rapture every year for maybe a couple decades. Uh, and he still does it. At least, I mean, again, I haven't confirmed that he's still there now, but I think he is. But at least until very recently, he was continuing to do this. And, um, you know, we've, you've seen the hashtag rapture anxiety. Um, that stuff kind mm -hmm. of freaked me out. I wanted to grow up, get married, have sex, have a career, learn more, experience a full human life. And then I felt incredibly guilty for wanting that because... The rapture was going to happen when it was going to happen, and I had no right to complain about it. And of course, I didn't want to be left behind. That was scary. So this is this is incredibly irresponsible. And then in AP biology, I mean, we did the labs. We even did one with recombinant DNA, where we grew these bacteria colonies and we introduced a gene that would make them glow under a black light. Um, but he would not teach us the evolution chapters. He made us read them on our own and said regurgitate them for the exam. So you know, basically telling us to be deceptive and at the same time he would show us uh these i'm going to use air quotes here quote unquote documentaries that taught us about young earth creationism and flood geology one of them was Dwayne t gish who is just one of the most ridiculous creationists out there i think some of his uh, videos are still available on youtube if anyone wants to see exactly how ridiculous Dwayne t gish is he's the bombardier beetle guy um if that rings a bell <laughs> I don't think I know that. Oh, well, you got to look it up. <laughs> he, he is just. <laughs> okay. not, I'll be sure to do that. Um, so, yeah, this is not responsible teaching. So, science in particular was weirdly taught, I would say badly taught. Um, you could, you could take yeah. uh, science there and, and learn things, sometimes, no thanks to the teacher, uh, even a couple of AP classes. And uh, and yet you had all this ridiculous going on, ridiculousness going on at the same time. And I mean, even when I got into college, I felt like it was morally incumbent upon me to defend young earth creationism because uh, I believed Ken Ham at the time that if you don't take Genesis literally, all of Christianity completely falls apart. And it's so embarrassing to look back at me in those college years arguing with people and trying to defend something so absurd you know, and that they expect children to do this. It is abusive. Right. Yeah. 
and sort of and and pivoting off of that that's another thing that is expected of, of folks within the context of their understanding and teaching of history as well especially american mm-hmm. history um that that was also something that definitely seemed to be a big through line in regards to what people were sharing about um their experiences and this also extended into uh, when folks began to speak more specifically towards homeschooling mm-hmm. and the sorts of curriculum that is used by Christian homeschoolers that mm-hmm. is primarily done through Bob Jones and Pensacola, through Rebecca and other um, Bob other Jones, types of homeschool Accelerated curriculum. Christian Education or ACE with its paces. Mm-hmm. And and that was an that is another sort of way in which this curriculum was built to create people to argue for these cultural mm. things. Um. So. Uh, what? And when that sort of expand when this hashtag exposed Christian schools expanded and be also be uh, through exposed Christian homeschooling also began to really dive into that what um what are your thoughts as far as how especially when it came to things relative to american society why is that important for other for folks that are not mm-hmm. from this background to understand well you know the the deliberate uh isolation and indoctrination of children in order to create a specific type of child who goes um against the American mainstream and indeed against uh, science, against democracy itself. Um, Christian schools and Christian homeschooling were both deliberately plotted out by Christian reconstructionists like R.J. Rushdoony himself and, and Gary North and today people like Kevin Swanson. I mean, they make most of the homeschooling curriculum that's, that's available uh, and it's deliberately designed to create um, a disaffected subculture, uh, and also people that are so isolated that it's very difficult to get out. So it's an authoritarian environment where you've got all these um, disciplinary mechanisms, many of them internalized, that keep you in the fold. And so, if even if you don't become, if, well, if you don't become disaffected with it, disillusioned with it, then you know. If you do end up as someone who gets the more elite version of the education or, you know, you have the um, the capacity, you participate in debate teams and things like that, uh, you're, you're highly intelligent, you're probably going to go on to become, you know, someone like Matt Staver or work for Liberty Council or something like that and try to fight to undermine American democracy and create a theocracy. And if you do become disillusioned, you're often kind of stuck because this is the only social uh network that you have and you don't necessarily know how to interact with the with the rest of society or what's normal and of course uh, purity culture is a big part of this as well and that mm-hmm. goes the whole patriarchal aspect of it um it shouldn't surprise people it shouldn't surprise people that in order to um the, yeah. the, the single demographic that support that is most supportive uh of trump uh that is most uh, ill-disposed towards toward Muslims and, and refugees engages in these kinds of extreme practices to uh, try to indoctrinate their children so 
they'll perpetuate this, this the same things. Uh, though to do it in such an extreme way, I've referred to it as a kind of massive social experiment that they've now subjected generations to, particularly ramping up from the 1980s, uh, shows them feeling this kind of cultural defensiveness. It was kind of a tactical withdraw, withdrawal from society in order to uh, send us back out to uh, attack and, and take over, take dominion. And uh, of course, because America is so ridiculously deferential to any expression of religion, they get away with a lot. They get away with taking tax dollars to uh, teach things that are patently demonstrably false as science and history. It's malpractice. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to also focus on since since you brought that up i want to focus on the reaction to this uh the reaction the way in which some conservatives online have tried <laughs> to the whole to conservative public web schools is and the sorts losing of things its that... collective shit it's kind of amazing uh all these little yeah. fly by night conservative websites and blogs but also the daily caller um, the Daily Caller specifically wrote about me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And so let's 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 talk about that and sort of and I want to tie these things together. The way in which the way in which folks that haven't experienced this have uh, need to understand what's going on and also to to understand and respond to the conservative response which has tried to give this response of exposed public schools and this not all Christian education sort of response and why that is mm -hmm. either intentionally deflect deflecting or just not the right sort of response. to It is intentional deflection. I'm sure in, in many cases, I'm sure it's quite cynical from the, the people behind the daily caller, for example, um, and also, I actually found uh, where a lot of the talking points that you're seeing from people pushing back were hashed out, planned by trolls on 4chan. I found the 4chan subthreads where they were saying, oh, let's try exposed public schools, exposed Jewish schools, exposed Muslim schools. Um, so, yeah, this kind of whataboutism is, is typical of authoritarianism. And I've got a big thread on this on Twitter about how uh, authoritarianism relies on post-truth politics to maintain the status quo, to stay in power. And we've seen this in so many striking ways under the Trump regime. You know, Giuliani on TV literally saying truth isn't truth. Um, the use of alternative facts, just throwing all kinds of ridiculous conspiracy theories out there. What that does, it undermines people's sense of a shared truth of shared facts and if you have a society that's so divided like that, that you can't agree on whether to trust um, nonpartisan institutions, um, whether to trust science, universities, things like that, um, you're able to pretty much uh, maintain power and, and do things that um, you couldn't do if you were relying on good generally accessible information if most of the population uh, was able to accept the same set of facts. It's really, it's really quite insidious. 
and um, Christian schools and Christian homeschooling have been doing that well, for uh, you know well over right. half a century now, uh, but particularly since the 1980s. Uh, that's when it really got big. And um, yeah, I kind of like to say that, you know, uh, in evangelicalism, which created this whole parallel subculture with parallel institutions, parallel uh, information, it's been, we've been doing alternative facts since before it was cool, right? And, you know, then Kellyanne Conway went on to and actually said alternative facts. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yeah, and that just provided a name to something mm-hmm. that we've been experiencing for our entire lives. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that I'm I'm glad that you took this opportunity to respond and and create something that broke through and trended on on Twitter in the United States. Yeah. For solidly for a couple using, of days and continues to see this sort I was of using slow burn, to, which is, to which is watch great. It. And um, it looks at a, a hashtag over a 24-hour period. And so it peaked at 170,000 tweets in a 24-hour period. Overall, there are probably around 200,000, I would think. So it really is remarkable. Uh, it ha- it, it's yeah. also been written That's about a- in The Daily Dot, and maybe it will get more media coverage. But yeah, thing, things like this, um, you should expect a lot of pushback from conservatives because they're angry that they can no longer control the conversation. Um, And we have, again, been so deferential to evangelicals in most of our major media outlets. Uh, You know, they've been very effective at spinning things their way. And the ex-evangelical community is starting to break through and change the conversation. And um, that's really important, I think, if we're going to save American democracy and that's not hyperbole. Um, So, and, you know, we saw a a powerful example of that when Wheaton, uh, Wheaton's Billy Graham center had one of its so-called GC2 summits on church abuse. And they were trying to appropriate and tame the church Two hashtag and strip it of all its anti-patriarchal critique. And um, the ex-evangelical community pushed back loudly um, Emily Joy, Samantha Field were some of the main organizers there. Um, Charlotte Henderson wrote a blog post. And um, so they organized this counter event and um, the, the news coverage took our side into consideration. Ed Stetzer didn't get the glowing press that he's used to being able to get. He's used to being able to be quoted uncontested anytime he wants, you know? He's still giving us the cold shoulder, but he knows Mm -hmm. that he's lost control of the narrative. And I love to just imagine him sitting by himself, fuming about it. (laughs) Well, that's exactly, that's exactly why things like this are so important. And uh, I'm glad you took uh, uh, some extra time to, to talk about this a little more. Yeah, absolutely. I I know some people this evening are going to start making a bigger push for exposed Christian homeschooling again. Uh, And I did help organize that as I'd heard from a number Mm -hmm. of people that um, they wanted to participate in exposed Christian schools, but they were homeschooled. So they didn't really know if they could or should. Um, And I think it is part of a, a single conversation that we need to have about educational malpractice on the Christian right. 
Um, I also didn't expect it necessarily to expand into Catholic schools, which do very widely, and many Jesuit schools are rigorous, teach evolution, and you don't have to be a Christian to go there. But people did, particularly because of Covington, you know, start using it to talk about Catholic schools as well, which is which is great. Um, but yeah, the homeschooling is... Mm-hmm. Covington, of course, being the reference to Covington Catholic students right. mocking an indigenous um, person over this But weekend. yeah, uh, homeschooling is usually done by evangelicals, um, though sometimes Catholics too. Um, for these kind, there are fundamentalist Catholics for these kinds of purposes of indoctrination, and it generally involves, uh, you know, not only inculcation in extreme heteropatriarchal norms and ideals to be defended at, at all costs and also white supremacy even if you don't say it out loud uh but also quite a bit of deliberate misinformation being taught as as fact uh so it's it's one conversation it's a continuing conversation mm-hmm. and it's good that we now have exposed christian homeschooling as well and i hope that one will trend quite a bit too of course you tend to get a lot of pushback when you criticize homeschooling, that's largely a result of the work of the um, Homeschool Legal Defense Association, which is an extreme right-wing evangelical organization. But some people don't understand that and think it's a legitimate pro-homeschooling lobby. It was founded in 1983, and thanks to the work that they've done, uh, homeschooling is almost unregulated, or even if on paper it has fairly good regulations, they're not enforced. In states like Oregon, for example, there are things that you have to do, have your students take certain tests. Uh, but, you know, I've heard stories of people not doing it and nobody ever showed up to enforce the rules. Um, and in other states, they don't even have those rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, so regulation of homeschooling has been completely dismantled by radical right wingers who sell fear that um, you know, there's no legitimate reason to oppose homeschooling. And really, this is just all about evil liberals who want the state to take your kids away and convert your kids into being statists. CPS is out to get you. You know, they don't care about children's rights at all. Uh, it's really that whole umbrella of authority thing, absolute authority of the father over children. And it's horrible and it needs to be exposed. Uh, so, you know, they've got so, so many loyal foot soldiers Uh, out there and so many people who just get extremely defensive about homeschooling that it's become very hard to criticize homeschooling and uh, those people show up so when a state tries to pass just the slightest bit of regulation of homeschooling they get people out to the the state house and they don't leave until they shut it down but again this is something where over time if we change the conversation by amplifying the voices of survivors we do it loudly enough to get the attention of the media, they'll lose that kind of influence. And I think we might be seeing that happen here, at least with exposed Christian schools, we definitely broke through. Exposed Christian homeschooling um, also got mentioned in the Daily Dot article. I was contacted for it uh, just right in time to where I could mention exposed Christian homeschooling because we were planning to launch it then. So um, breaking through into the public eye is uh, is how we collectively can start to change things. Absolutely. And I want to thank you for, for starting that hashtag and, and for encouraging people to use it. Um, 
where can people find uh, your thanks, work Blake. So I have a website at chrisdroop.com. Um, and there are some links there to some of my other work, although that that's, those sections of the site are a bit outdated and I need to update them. But uh, yeah, I've got a blog there. I've got a resources page as well. Um, I write a lot for playboy.com. Um, so you can find me there on religion dispatches, including uh, in its new um, incarnation, if you will, at rewire.news. I've written for foreign policy and um, other outlets. And on Twitter, you can find me um, at C underscore Stroop, S-T-R-O-O-P. I'm pretty accessible uh, and reachable on Twitter. Um, I do public speaking gigs. So if anyone wants to book me, uh, you can DM me on Twitter or you can use the contact form on my website. And um, I guess that's about it. And that will do it for today's episode. Thank you for tuning in to XV Extras. Please check out the main feed by searching your pod catcher of choice for Exvangelical. You can find me on Twitter at BRChastain. You can find the show on Twitter at Pod, And you can support this show and the other work of Exvangelical at patreon.com slash Pod. 